0: Everybody to the first official episode of Colubre Corner. Uh, I am your host, Owen McIntyre, and with me, as always, is the co-host of Collybre Corner, Riley Jimison. He's a madman, but we're just going to go through what's going on. So uh, for those people who are new to the show and this concept, we're just going to kind of explore various... Um, Species within the colubrid umbrella. For those of you who don't know, it's a big category for snakes. And it's also one of those ones that, um, a lot of people don't really delve into too much. You know, we kind of all get obsessed with the pythons, the boas and stuff like that, but there's a lot of cool stuff within colubrid and there's a lot of different branches that go through. And to be honest, there's actually a lot that aren't even being kept in us and UK herpticulture. um, that you kind of take for granted So obviously the whole point of the show is We're going to highlight one species We're going to talk about it It's only going to be about 30, 40 minutes Because I know how Riley and I like to talk And go off on little tangents So <laughs> I imagine we'll go off and be like Oh yes, we've kept this And then be like What were we talking about again? So um and, obviously, the one thing we're going to be asking every show is, can it wear a top hat and a mustache? Because that's all anybody really cares about. Yeah. So, and is so, the
1: snoot danger. Exactly.
0: How, can you do that? Yeah. The answer is no. All right. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Riley, uh, why don't you tell us what's the first snake that we're kind of going to go through today?
1: So... There's, like you said, thousands of colubrids out there, and we've probably heard of everything that's kind of you know been in and out of the hobby regularly. But every mm-hmm. once in a while, you either stumble across a photo of something or a good friend of yours sends you a photo that they happen to stumble across and blows your mind. And so that snake had to have like the prominence and open this up, and that's the rainbow tree snake. It's also known as a royal tree snake. Okay. So
0: uh, quick description of this animal. It is thin. It, it's almost like a, f- a, 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 flying snake is what it looks like to me or a vine snake, yeah. but it looks like somebody took a Vietnamese blue beauty and attacked it with diamond Python pattern and color. And it's like, what the hell? So, yeah. I mean, it's gorgeous. So, um, people should definitely be Googling these pictures cause they, it's an insane animal, but That thing is awesome. So
1: you, you can Google them. No problem. And find photos. So yeah, go check these out. Definitely. So walk me through what, uh, I guess just basic, when, when did we discover this thing? So okay, first I'm gonna try and get the uh, the scientific name right here. No,
0: let's butcher. Let's see how many times we butcher this. Um, we're gonna we're
1: gonna do this for everyone because every
0: single one, and we're gonna and Riley's gonna do it because I get people are already angry that I say call uh, So yeah, it's so,
1: call your or colubrid, whatever makes you feel nice. Yeah, I caught myself using both in conversation the other. Who day. Who cares? So, yeah. <laughs> um, so this would be Gania soma margaritatus. <laughs> margarita's. So, and, and oh, sorry. <laughs> it looks like a margarita. I To say it, it's like this is very festive. It's a, it's <laughs> a very festive. Yeah, it makes me think of like bright lights on the beach, having margaritas. And it back is back a, back a back
0: very breath. very bright animal, which is yeah. weird because a lot of times collier birds can be drab because yeah. they're they're the they're usually the smallest snake in the area. I mean. Right, you know, it's people got to start pumping color and morphs into them for them to be insane. But like, this is awesome. Yeah. So so this
1: this snake was first described in 1871. They are uh, they're found in Sarawak, West Malaysia, and on Singapore Island. Um, So like out near Borneo out there. Uh, So they're they're, you know one of those Southeast Asian Indo-Malaysian sort of. uh, rat snakes that you know we see the the gr- red tail green rats and and dancing right. and things and so if you've seen those you can picture that body type that's really what the snake sort of reminds me of and build but maybe even more lean and this could yeah. include a, a, you know a, a one wild specimen i did read that there were some folks who took some observations some of the notes i was gathering came from Animals in a captive setting. So, at one point or another, I think over in the UK or Germany, somebody did manage to get some in. uh, But I I could not find any records of them ever being in the States. Uh, So, even though they've been described to science for, you know, 150 years. um, (laughs) But to say, this is that's the other thing is that some of these things is like 1871,
0: and we, we haven't even tried to build a breeding project in the United States on these gorgeous. Gorgeous animals, like at all. yeah, yeah. And, and there's
1: no uh, there's no international protection of them. They're listed oh, by as least concern. So okay, you know, and all of these assessments are nine years old, but. You know, to be fair, like things can change in nine years, but if they're at least least concerned, you know, I don't know. It maybe they're just that hard to find and come across. Maybe you know the exporters never find them. Maybe they're that rare because, like, you and I had never heard of them before today.
0: Yeah, and that's just one of those things. When it comes to Singapore Island, are they the ones having problems with um uh the brown tree snakes? Uh,
1: I do believe that Guam has the brown tree snakes. Okay. Um, Singapore, I'm sure, has a lot of other different introduced species. That seems to always be the problem. But there, I think, let me see, I had some notes here. Yeah. Um, There were, this species didn't have a lot about it, but there was some concern that maybe... you know the few that had been collected were for like making leather or ropes and bushmeat and things like great, that. Great. 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 Yeah. <laughs> they, great. There wasn't a lot of like confirmed uh sightings of them, so the few that had been were like, you know, deceased specimens. Right. So,
0: and you said that they were last assessed in
1: August of 2011? Yeah, and okay. just because it says it's assessed doesn't mean they like I mean they they Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, They don't know the whole population numbers or anything. They really don't know. Um, they didn't even have, you know, enough data to say whether or not the population was trending upward and downwards, which means there wasn't historically much data on them either to really create trends. So um but what they do know is that these things are fully arboreal they will mm. come to the ground for food but you know if you look at their lean body it makes sense they probably do really well on like long wiry branches oh, yeah. and over water and things uh, yeah so you know and we know a little bit about different asian rat snakes like the dance and i and red-tailed green rats and some of those other things out there and we know some of their behavioral habits and a lot of the the sort of phylogenetic work that's done uh, for them thus far shows a lot of relatedness to them mm-hmm. so um for any other folks who want to hear me try and butcher some names um they're hmm. apparently closely related to three southeast asian taxa rattenophis presinus which is the green bush rat snake rattenophis okay. frenatus which is a rain snake uh, and Rhinochophis boulangeri the rhino rat snake, which you have in our wait what success, <laughs> right? Wait, yeah. All right, so
0: these are relatives to a rhino rat. Yes, but the but the body is just all right. Well, how how long did these guys get? Because in my head, I've been picturing a uh, something along the lines of a, a, a green or a Jensen's or a beauty snake
1: yeah so they they can get pretty long i don't know i think a lot of the beauty snakes might outgrow these guys in particular but it says they can get to about a maximum 1.75 meters so we're looking at you know five and a half feet
0: i mean for for a rat snake that's not it's not horrible and you're right it's not beauty snake size i mean like
1: yeah, but Adam, I mean, it, to just I mean, think
0: about the rhinos. Like, come on, dude. Rhinos
1: are teeny. <laughs> like, yeah, <it's, laughs> some of the photos of them, they sort of look like if you had a really, really slender, um like a super slender corn snake or a super mm-hmm. slender Baron's racer or something like that. That kind of looks yeah. like that. But uh, they're just on a whole nother level because of that color. And so for the people listening, if you're driving somewhere and you can't just go immediately look it up. Yes, now
0: close your eyes as we describe the snake. Not if you're driving. Not if you're driving.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, if you're listening to this picture, picture an animal that has uh, an orange snout and orange cranial plates, but the orange stops there. And then there's like a, a saddle of black around the rest of the head with a yellow jawline. And then it goes into what looks like diamond python, yellow and green black tipping all the way down to about the midsection. And then you start seeing some faint yellow bands come in. The green disappears. And then you have these spread out, almost boiga looking... Um, yellow and black sections with lots of white tipping on it and black fish netting all the way down to the tail. And it's just the craziest looking, yeah. like pinata snake I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, are,
0: are, are we looking at keeled scales or
1: uh, non? Uh, so they are slightly keeled. Uh, so the dorsal scales are weakly keeled. <laughs> <laughs> and they, pick, a, and pick a lane, God yeah, damn it. It's only so, like a little bit of the area. Okay. Um, so. They uh they're a tall body type, large and length, elongate, slender, compressed body snake with a medium to moderately long and slender tail, head is moderately long and moderately narrow, but distinct from the neck, so they have an even skinnier neck. the snout mm. is rounded when viewed from above. Their eyes are moderately large in size with round pupils. They're I door- mean, nocturnal, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. these guys seem to be nocturnal and uh their ventrals and subcaudals are even keeled laterally and notched. Wait, wait, the, 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 the sub-ventral? The ventral, yeah, the ventral scales and the subcaudal scales are keeled laterally and notched. So they have a little bit of like bumpiness to the tail for some texture. And that's gotta help them through the tree. I, I don't.
0: I don't like this show already because now you've now described the collier and now you've told me that it's bumpy, and you know how I feel about bumpy, rough snakes and yeah. big Asians. St- no,
1: this this is a very bad show. So this, um, this is like the epitome of like the right size of a rat snake. I know this is no. This color. is the, this. This will be the
0: last episode. This no, we can't do this. <laughs> Have you seen what my collection did through NPR? I mean, we're gonna yeah. do this.
1: This is terrible. Well, this is terrible. Fortunately, or yeah. unfortunately, depending okay. on how you look at it, I don't know if there are any in the United States. I no,
0: because now it's our, now it's my, it's it's our mission to do this. Like yeah. you know, I I'm gonna send you to Borneo. Um, God yeah. damn.
1: And there, so there, they are a uh, like a primary forest. And lowland rainforest dwelling species but they don't go above 700 meters in elevation so you don't need some crazy like cold weather pressure fronts like uh, (laughs) cloud forest species do right yeah but if it seems like they would probably do really well with like uh, a wet season and a moderately less wet season you know and just kind of you know given where they're at they probably um don't go too crazy uh, in in heat. They probably stay up to eighty at most, maybe just give so a little
0: talking uh, we'll we'll get into like keeping in, in captivity, but we're
1: just talking uh, in the wild, correct? Right. Yeah. So in the wild where they're at, you know, yeah. based on some of these areas it gets cool. So yeah. I don't think these animals like to be in hot spaces even though that that part of the world can get hot. They seem to really rely on those microclimates. In, in the primary forest where it's cool low elevation not getting a ton of heat near the coastline so um, I don't I don't think they like it super hot and they probably would be a species that likes a lot of that coastal breeze coming through you right. know, re- regular moisture and, and mist and rainfall from time to time um, you know I would imagine you keep them keep them in the high 70s.
0: Uh, yeah. I mean, that, that would be my thing would just be like to uh, set up the heat so that it doesn't, you know, go below a certain point, but then, you know, just let their cage do what it does. So like make sure that the heat turns on if they hit 60 or something like that. Yeah. But, so um,
1: everything in the low sixties, I imagine they would endure regularly at night. And if they're up in the trees, that's probably yeah. they're nocturnal. So where do you think they're sleeping in the day?
0: Uh, they are probably either found the nook in a tree or they're sprawled out on top of the canopy getting sun. Right. I so mean, they're,
1: they're going to get a little bit warmer and have some environmental insulation based on where they're at. If they hunker yeah. down somewhere, like you said, it'll probably be in a tree. Yeah. And if they're out during the day napping at if anything, they're probably just going to position themselves with a little bit of cover, given their camouflage, and probably just rely on being able to sleep kind of amidst the foliage. And probably they do get some sunlight to warm back up a little bit.
0: I mean, such a thin-bodied snake like that, they can go up where, if anything's bothering them, they'll sense it from them trying to climb up the tree or something like that, because they'll yeah. be up on the thin branches. So that's. Right. And, and as far as feeding habits for these guys, are we like. I mean, bird catcher.
1: Well, I would imagine they would, yeah. Probably some small ones, maybe some small hummingbirds, you know, nest raider type species, right? Uh, the, the few accounts that I did find of somebody having uh, experiences with them in captivity was that they'd eat just about anything except fish. So I imagine they're generalist feeders, but given the size, probably got to be small geckos, small frogs, small birds. Baby rodents, because I would imagine they'll go down to the ground and follow a game trail if they have to at night, being not Hang down low. You're right. Yeah. Wait for something to walk past. So. Yeah. So I would imagine they're not very picky. I, I I bet you they're bird nest raiders if they if there are certain small species out there. I mean uh, anything
0: but fish. But I mean like that's congratulations. I mean it bit tiny little bit guys like that. I mean. Yeah, uh, we're, we're talking like bugs, geckos, little lizards, especially where they're at, dude. I mean, there's got to be a ton of stuff
1: for yeah. them to eat. Um, and I, I couldn't find any information on how big their eggs are, but they are an egg-laying species. Okay. Um, given their size, they're probably one of the species that lays a handful to maybe eight or so of those oblong, uh, very long, like the, skinny, mm-hmm. colubrid eggs. And I bet okay. you... I bet you those things come out the size of like corn snakes or even smaller. So they probably do start out on tiny little things at first, maybe small frogs. Who knows? Yeah, but okay. there wasn't uh, there wasn't enough like documentation that I could come across. Um, you know, I did find some things, but otherwise, like. You know, there might have been a handful that made it into the country over in Germany or somewhere else in the U.K., but otherwise, I don't know if they've ever been into the United States or not. I couldn't confirm one way or the other. It kind of
0: almost reminds me of um, what it did, the 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 bird, um, I, I don't want to say if they're bird rat snakes or just bird snakes or whatever. those. Um, oh,
1: yeah, the yeah. the, the Posillenotus, uh, shoot, I'm going to look them up right now.
0: Go ahead. Um, I know uh, what you that would probably be, I think, the closest to it because I, I, you want to sit there and say tiger, but it doesn't seem like that would be a good fit for a, what this animal's like. Like a tiger rat snake, because I think tiger yeah. rat snakes are off in their own little category. I don't think anything's like them. Um, but I think these guys would definitely fit in close with those guys as far as, I don't know, body type, even color. I mean, uh, the birds that I saw, at, I think it was Tinley Park looked kind of like these guys, but like a different kind of color scheme going on. So yeah. I don't want to say that that would be where I would say that they would kind of fit in, in in your mind's eye or something like that, you know, yeah. whether or not they're related to or not.
1: But yeah, definitely. They're, they're really cool looking, man. Like the first time I saw these things, I was like, Oh, Owen's going to like these. Right? Yeah. It's a bad idea. So, <laughs> all
0: right. Um, defensive posture. I mean, if they're an Asian rat snake, they gotta have
1: it, right? I would imagine so. Again, I couldn't find anything to confirm one way or the other, but looking at how tall their body build is,
0: they got to do the neck flare. I mean, they all do that. I mean, that's that's a given. Plus the mouth open thing. I got. uh, I I was picking up one of the baby rhinos today that hatched, and it was open mouth hissing at me. I'm like, you're adorable when you're mad. <laughs> like it's, that's <laughs> so cute. So I, I just imagine these things would just do basic Asian rat snakes, stand up, flare the neck and all that fun stuff. Like they all do.
1: That would be my guess, you know, with yeah. all the colors and that, that bright orange head, who knows, like, you know, what would be really cool to find out is what the, the inside of its mouth color is, because if they have some bright color in there and then they have the flashy colors everywhere, who knows, they might do some like, Puffing, open mouth, gaping display, and then like some side to side nonsense.
0: Stop it. This is just making it worse that I want these more now. <laughs> it's like it that would be cool to see. I mean, was it even cave dwellers puff
1: up their necks and get all pissy? Like Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what we were what we were talking about earlier was the Frynan axe notice. It's yes. the uh, what are they what's their common name? The um that was the bird. The, snake like or a bird eating snake or something like that. I thought it was just the bird snake. I, bird snake. I, I, yeah. 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 So they kind of seem like it. you know, when you look at a certain species of animal, whether you know it or not, after you've seen enough like of similar body builds, you can sort of understand. What you're looking at. yeah, Yeah, you can understand why they're built that way, and you can sort of make inferences about what type of, you know, environmental niche they occupy. So these animals, like anybody who has spent any amount of time around, um, you know, any sort of rat snakes or colubrids, even, like, if you're into mambas. I mean, these things look like they're built like a mamba, you know?
0: Dude, that's the thing. It's like you spend you spend one afternoon with a, a Madagascar giant hog nose, and you're like, so this is what a false water cobra is like. Yeah. Like, that, you just automatically, like, that's what it is now. You know that. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, you yeah, can kind of almost see the stepping stones of how we got to certain places, and it's like, okay, yeah. here
1: we are in this part. So, yeah, yeah things... dude. They look really cool. Now, my guess would be if mm-hmm. there was some sort of access to get out there and they could survey the population and find out, okay, we've got a really reliable, healthy breeding population. If they found various adults and juveniles and evidence of you know, sustainable, which is probably not the case. But anywhere. it sounds
0: like they haven't even done that research where they just know this thing exists, but they don't even know – how
1: bad? Plus, dude, we're talking Borneo in places like that, right? So we already a, know what happens with Borneo. There's exactly, a lot of logging and and habitat destruction. And I don't see on. these things doing well in a palm plantation like Bloods and Shorttails, right? I mean, but I did find out, according to the IUCN Red List, that uh, and and at least one protected area where they exist, there is some in place water and land protection sort of stuff going on. That sort of. Uh, inadvertently benefits them indirectly like by protecting the water and the land there they're protecting that habitat they can stay there right species. so it seems like there's a little bit of overlap in some of these protected areas whether that's still the case because again that was an assessment based you know nine in years 2011
0: ago. yeah and the problem is that now you have you have a small island species in a small little uh, niche species and then you just have made everything smaller right. because of deforestation and loss of th- habitat i mean if we're concerned about <laughs> orangutans <laughs> i mean does anybody really noticed that those pretty snakes that everybody was kind of tripping over for a while are gone so yeah, yeah that's a really that's a really and, good that's, point. and that's shitty because it's like you know it, it, it's, it's almost like you kind of talk with entomologists and stuff like that, where it's like nobody realizes the first thing to go is this or right. that. And it's like, would we potentially lose the species without even realizing it?
1: Well, the beautiful thing is what you just brought up is, is great, mm-hmm. because orangutans are an umbrella species for those areas. A lot of the construction work that goes to protect them indirectly will help them. Exactly. The right, right, right. So, right, which is good. But, again... Bye. It's still happening and it's really happening fast and it's really bad and it's devastating. This is already a rare species that I guarantee you ninety percent of the people that are gonna listen to this have never heard of. If not, right. More. I mean
0: so so this is this is a species that could be on the same level of danger, but we don't know because nobody's done a, a survey or really gotten into the dirty of it. Um that could be an issue that should have a species survival plan but one hasn't been created there is no people breeding these things in uh private hands like you or i or anything like that so right don't know like again this is one of those things where people might be alerted to how um endangered this population is just out of the it'll seem like it's out of the freaking blue because somebody will have to go out there and actually do a survey
1: right so and now let's say let's say um, a small group of animals from a certain forest somehow is uh, brought into human care because their patch of forest was cut down and they end up at some farm and somebody here in the United States brings them into the United States and there's a handful of supposedly unrelated rainbow tree snakes that just come in. Um, how would you sort of approach setting them up
0: uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, it I, I that's the problem, is like, and that's what so many people take for granted when it comes to snakes, is that you stand on the shoulders of people who have killed and fucked up way more than you do to tell yeah. you what to do and what not to do. Yep. Like, and that's yeah, I, I mean, can you imagine having like the only six of yeah, these dude. in the country? Like, I mean I'd be a lot of pressure. Yeah, yeah. No, with my luck, uh, I'd kill all the girls and be like, well, hi, boys. Yeah, Good, sorry. good to be here. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, sorry, Bros. So um, it's…
1: But, but, you know, like I'm, I'd like to think from an optimistic standpoint that there's a good chance that some might fumble their way through Europe or into the United States somehow. Yeah, maybe. To me, to me I would approach it similar to how you would set up some of the other similar rat snakes you're riding with. know, Given how how large they seem to be as an adult, I would think, you know, even like a, a three, four foot cage with, you know, maybe two feet of vertical, if not more. would. Be I, I would go sturdy. high because yeah. you're going to have to have
0: a ton of branches up there because if they're mainly arboreal, they might not feel comfortable yeah. down low. I mean, that's where a lot of people tend to fail when it comes to um, larger Asian rat snakes and stuff like that is that or the thinner bodied snakes like that. I mean. Uh, numerous times I've been talking to people who have the paradise flying snakes, mm-hmm. and it's like can't get it eat. I'm like, give it a stick. Like it, it needs to be yeah, up they, on something. They need to feel like they're up high.
1: Yeah. They. Just so I would do that. They don't sit on the ground. The same if they're on the ground, it's icon. bad. That's the yeah. thing. you
0: got to think about it like a chondro. If it's on the ground,
1: this is bad. Like yeah. it's unless it's yeah. like actively hunting at night. Exactly. Like exactly. The middle of the night. If I were to. If I were to somehow magically inherit these animals uh, that came in, I would set them up in probably like a four, a three foot wide or a four foot wide enclosure by four feet tall. Yeah, nice branches. Have like a couple big main stalks, and then have it go up to some thin stuff. They look so thin and lean. I feel like they 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 hang out on
0: the thin branches. Yeah, yeah,
1: I feel like they would want to do that, and you know, much like the uh, the langaha, the leaf nose and twig nose snakes from Madagascar do that Mm -hmm. too. They they sort of give me that vibe going on and so i feel like if you had some really good even leafy branches given their green colors um and then i bet you they're shy as hell too so you probably you probably have to like either fill that with dense
0: foliage what you do what you do is you go get one of those cages by design cages that's basically like a closet and then you go get potted trees like an actual tree like like bamboo yeah and you just stick the damn thing in there like and just and then dirt and then you just walk away Uh And put everything on timers, change the water, or put it in a mist system, and then offer food. And then, like, don't touch it. (laughs) Like, just just leave it the hell alone. Yeah. And seems
1: like one of those snakes that would probably benefit from a diet that is not heavy in rodents.
0: It would have to be – you either have to be – if it is rodent – yeah, this is not something you feed like a corn snake. This is something that you feed maybe once a month, but it gets a bird that looks like it's going to, like – Burst at the seams, or yeah. you know, a rodent or two rodents,
1: and then you leave it alone. Like yeah, I suspect that's where could, you could do you could like, break it. Yeah, yeah, you could you could very easily overfeed this animal. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I, I feel like they might have a, a a decently quick metabolism, but given that they're from like a cooler area, like not super scalding hot. My no. guess is that if you give them heavy meals, it's hard for them to digest. So if you right. give them birds, like if you were to simulate. Like a nest raid scenario that animal could eat maybe you know three or four like button quail, button you know, like quail tiny, like little, yeah yeah like fresh yeah. and then that would be good for like a week or two you mm-hmm. know and you probably want to watch their bowel movements i would imagine these animals could get dehydrated quickly so
0: that's the other problem is that if they're hanging up at the top of the tree of the canopy i mean you know they're just going to get a gentle mist as or or something like that as the sun rises and stuff like that. I mean, and you're right, you might not be able to breed these guys unless you monsoon it, and then that'll be fun. Yeah, So
1: I think if you set up a mist King system like you just said where it would spray in the morning right before the lights come on, and then right before the lights go off, you spray again. Another shot, yeah. And then, boom, right, lights go off, and then you've got that. But they would need to stay cool, I would think. So, like, I could not run them in my my snake room.
0: No, I mean, that's the other problem is that how do, you run, how do you run the lights without heating them? I mean, like, it would have to be just – it's almost like one of those things where you have the light, but you have it set up so high above or far enough away or have it set on such a timer that – it clicks on and then gives you maybe two hours, three hours, and then turns off immediately. Yeah, I mean, I, I bet you if you just
1: did like a, a low wattage U V B light for just ambient light, right? Da- dapple it through some branches and things so that animal doesn't feel like it's got a spotlight on it. You know, yeah. make it come through a, a simulated canopy for them, give them the basking in, in areas maybe at a couple different spots around that, but just underneath it. Low UVB, and then have, you know, maybe one or two ceramic bulbs for a basking area that you can regulate. Mm-hmm. Low mm-hmm. wattage, nothing crazy, and, and probably shut it off at night and just have something that has... Let it just do whatever. Yeah, that has, like, an ambient minimum where, like, it'll only kick back on, like you said, if it hits, like, 62 or something like that. Right. Yeah, that, that, that would, would be... be- That'd, That'd would be, be the way hard. I'd do it. I would approach it, yeah. yeah. I just feel like they—they look like they'd be hardy if you got them right, but if you—if you tanked them and overfed them, you would break them so quick.
0: Yeah, I, I almost feel like when it comes to certain colybrids, even like, our especially arboreal colybrids, they're either bulletproof, or if you look at it the wrong way, it will wither and die in front of you. Yeah. Like it's, it, and I think these these guys, like you're right, they could go either way. So yeah. All right. Well. Any other thoughts or talks or points we want to bring up quick about the uh, uh, the rainbow tree snake? You know, I wish I had more. Um, no, I dude, I, it's the fact yeah. that it is that this is all we know. Like that, that's yeah. going to happen
1: a lot because. So, if anybody wants to look into it, you can Google this this species, and you will find one publication that's a relevantly recent uh, publication. And I read through it yesterday for a while. Um, it's called the phylogenetic position and taxonomic status of the rainbow tree snake Ganiophis margaritatis. And that was like in reference to the original, uh, naming cause, uh, Ghaniosoma sort of came later as like a formulation. Okay. Uh, and so this paper is posing, um, you know, some different analysis of research, whether or not to sort of like reclassify a group of them in relation to one another, but it wouldn't necessarily change the name of them, I believe. But anyway, it was it was kind of interesting. They looked at some things, but you know, ultimately it didn't give us the, the insight I was hoping to get. But you know it, it it's just one of
0: those things. And you know, um that's gonna happen a lot, I think, as we kind of dive into this. We're gonna find snakes that there's not a lot about because, yeah. you know, unfortunately they didn't hatch a leucistic. <laughs> yeah. So.
1: Well, fortunately, this looks like one of those species that if it were to ever come into, um, you know, the hobby, I think it would be widely regarded as a a very high end delicate, like beautiful snake. Yeah. Yeah. Advanced care, beautiful snake, because I would imagine they're delicate and I think they would be highly revered. And I think, you know, it would be something where you would have like a small sub niche of, of the hobby that would just absolutely go bonkers for them. So very cool. So, all right.
0: So, what we'll do is we'll move on uh, to the next one later on. Uh, what? Uh, why don't you tell everybody what the next snake that we're going to be covering is going to be, Riley? All right. So, the
1: next episode, next episode. Yep. The next episode that you can uh, tune into, we're going to cover something that might be a little um, more known but not super well known at all uh you could okay. still consider these kind of rare um mm-hmm. not crazy like unheard of rare but definitely up there and that was not
0: teasing just say it that <laughs> be, like,
1: the hunter flower rat snake also known okay. as mullendorf's rat snake the trinket snake or the red-headed rat snake Elaphe mullendorfi Cool. All right. So uh, tune in next week when we cover
0: that one. Uh, Riley, is there anything you wanted to toss out there before we jump off?
1: No, no, no. The the, the world is called Corner, man. So, that's <laughs> all I'm promoting in here, man. Call you smart, Corner. Love more exotic t- animals. Look into, look into the extra odd stuff out there. If you're getting bored with your collection, you need a little jolt of energy. Variety is always the spice of life. And if you can find something that's available in the hobby or at least get a spark lit, you'll, you'll enjoy it. So definitely look into some colubrids because they've been overlooked for too long and I feel the... Uh... The Winds of change are coming <laughs> uh, good. So, all
0: right, um, as always, Collier Corner is a proud member of the Morelia Python radio network. <laughs> I got to say that, um, and um, we will catch everybody back here uh, next time for uh, next episode of Collier Corner. Bye, later.